0: In the steak. I I just have to say, I'm afraid that by the time I'm done, you're going to be thinking that you got, you know, barbecue cooked low and slow. So let's see, do I have a clicker here? I don't think I need a clicker. I'll just do that. And maybe we'll do that again. That's just, there we go. Have you ever seen this photograph before? This photograph is one that I would consider to be iconic. Um, this is uh, a, taken from the, the Central High crisis that took place back in the 1950s. Uh, it has been on the front pages of, of newspapers outside of Arkansas. Um, there it has appeared in uh, you know, news programs, um, Oprah, uh, it has been, there are museums, you know, that are dedicated to the topic of the Central High Crisis from, from 1959, I think it was, 58 or 59. There are a lot of people who have seen this photograph, and, and, and they know the, the cultural moment that, this, that, that it was taken from. Um, do you remember... Uh, that there were nine students who were going to start going to Central High that had not gone there before because of their color. Um, One of those is pictured there in the foreground. Her name is Elizabeth Eckford. Uh, She's one of the Little Rock Nine. And um, she was one of the, the nine that were selected to go there you might Some of you may, may be too young to, to know or too young to be aware, but you know, there was a time when, when white kids went to white schools and black kids went to black schools. And as a result of, uh, of better thinking in our country, um, those were brought together. And yet the bringing together of of those schools was a very difficult thing to have happen. And and that's what you're seeing displayed um, on the picture there. Now, what I want you to focus your attention on, though, is not Elizabeth in the foreground, but the young lady that's right behind her. I want you to look at the look on her face. And I I, I want you to tell yourself what you think that she is conveying with that look. Now, she's obviously saying something, and at least what Wikipedia says, if you can trust Wikipedia, what, they are, what the students, the white students behind are, are saying is, 2, four, six, eight, we don't need to integrate. There are other quotes that have been attached to this photograph as well, but I think that's probably the one that we kind of need to keep in our mind. You see the look on her face, and our our faces, they they convey our feelings, and she's conveying anger and hatred and resentment. She's saying with her face, you don't have any business being here at Central High School. You need to get back where you belong. The woman's name is Hazel Bryan. And there were many that were demonstrating that day, but she was the unfortunate person to be caught in the photograph with her face looking that way. Elizabeth Eckford would go on to take her place in history among the Little Rock Nine. And if you go to the museum that is dedicated to the Central High Crisis, you will see there a lot of information about her, about her background, about her her experience during the Central High Crisis and about some of the things that she's done since then. Hazel Bryan, on on the other hand, played a much smaller role in history. And there are are just a few who are, you know, familiar with where she went afterwards. There was actually a time when I knew her. And in fact, there was a time when some of you knew her, a few of you knew her, even though you might not remember it. You see, Hazel would go on to uh, to marry a man by the name of Antoine Masary. And she would, she would eventually obey the gospel and become a member of this congregation when we met down on Art Street in Little Rock. She repented of this. Now, in fact, I guess maybe it's the time of year, but when I think about it, when I, when I read of the story, I think about Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, who g- goes from being the biggest hater of Christmas to being the b- biggest promoter of Christmas, and that's a lot like what happened with, with Hazel. She, she became a great friend to all people, but especially people of color. She dedicated years of her life working in those communities to help those people. And in fact, she became at one point a very close friend with Ms. Eckford. And they appeared on Oprah together. Now, the rest of the story is not quite so cheery, Um, there were forces that entered into their relationship that made it very difficult for them to remain close. I'll just sort of leave it at that. But uh, <clears throat> suffice it to say that, that Hazel did her best to undo uh, what the damage that was done with that photograph. And I guess only history will tell whether she has been successful at that. If she repented of what she was doing that day, then we know that God... Has forgiven her. Well, I wanted to share with you this story because it it sets up um, what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the sin of partiality, and I would encourage you to open your Bibles to James chapter 2. It will take us a while to get there. I've got some other things that I want to go through before we get to that point. Um, But go ahead and open your Bibles there, and we'll be taking a few minutes to work through those. passages. I remember when I was young hearing sermons on partiality and thinking, that's a funny word. I didn't hear my friends using that word. Uh, we didn't use that word in my family a whole lot. You just didn't hear it when you're walking out on the street. Partiality. Now, I did hear preachers preach on partiality from time to time. And I remember ringing in my ear, sounding a little bit funny. It might have been the way that the preachers were referring to it, you know, but it was, it was sort of like partiality, you know. It just sounded strange to me. But really what we're talking about this morning in our vernacular is Racism, right? Now, partiality is manifested in racism. It's manifested in other ways. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of different principles. Um, these are all applicable to racism. They are applicable in, in, in uh, regard to other human relationships that we might have. Um, but I hope that the, the things that we have to say... This morning, we'll, we'll, we'll reach a certain touch point in our cultural moment. Because this is an important topic. And it's especially important as we, as we work in our communities and, and as we reach out to our communities that we, that we have a sound basis for understanding the topic of partiality. Now, I'd like to, to uh, just briefly... Define the terms. You know, we we think of the term race in a in a certain way, but if you look it up in the in in the dictionary, it's gonna it's gonna refer to you know any kind of group, any kind of class, or any kind, especially of persons. Okay, so that's what race means. Um, when you add ism to it you know how you add ism to the end of a word and all of a sudden it becomes bad? Okay, so racism is bad. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, well, what about baptism? You just need to know the difference between an ism and a tism. Okay, so (laughs) there's that. So what we're talking about this morning is the phenomenon of when a person develops an animosity toward a group of people who share similar characteristics. And of course, the classic example of racism in, in, our, in our time is the, the, uh, the racism by white people against black people. But that's, that's a relevant example. But you know, we, there are other examples throughout the world. When we think about the, the relationship that the people of India and the people of Pakistan have, it's a feeling of animosity. And they would. You know, there's a reason why both of them have to be nuclear powers, because if, if one wasn't, then the, they'd destroy the other one. But what lies at the root of that is, is racism. When we think about the Muslims and the Shiites and the Sunnis, the animosity that exists between those two groups of people is, is racism. Now, it's not just a, an artifact of our time either. The Jews of Jesus' day were racists. I mean, what, what, what else would you call you know, their feelings towards Samaritans? And it makes it even all the more uh, amazing that Jesus would sit down with the woman at the well, her being a Samaritan, and have a, just, a, just a conversation with her. That was surprising to people because those people just didn't do that back then because they were racist. And you know, the reality is, is that racism tried to make an inroad into the church in the first century as well remember when Peter had been successful in in converting the household of Cornelius and and Gentiles were coming into the uh, coming into the church Peter finds himself in in Antioch but he's no I'm sorry I'm getting ahead of myself and uh, he he when word gets out about him going to the household of Cornelius judgment is brought upon him because he is eaten with uncircumcised men so again we have this we have this divergence, this distinction that's being made between people that I think clearly can only be described as a form of racism. Fortunately, the early church leaders put it down, and they would not tolerate it. I want to, I want to take a, a, real close, a real quick tour through the, the Word of God to, to make it clear that, that God shows no partiality whatsoever. Um, Genesis chapter 12, remember the promise made to Abraham, a land promise, a nation promise. And then he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What God was doing through Israel in the Old Testament was not all about Israel, but instead it was that through Israel, all the families of the earth might be blessed. We also have this wonderful passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. Where where God says it is too light a thing that should be my that by my servant, they should raise up the tribes of Judah to bring back and preserve Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And then when Jesus gives the uh, when Jesus gives the. The, the uh, Great Commission, Mark chapter 16, what does he say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have a couple of passages in uh, in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, you know that passage that reminds us for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. You remember what the next verse says? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Word of God could not be any clearer than it is that God is no respecter of persons, that God does not show partiality. And then Ephesians chapter 2, we won't read all those verses, but just very quickly, what Paul is saying there is that God has made both Jew and Gentile. And when you think about it, Jew, okay, so you're talking about Jerusalem Jews, Judean Jews, Galilean Jews, Hellenistic Jews, Samaritans, God has made those Jews. And then you've got the Gentiles, every other nation under heaven, every other tribe, every other culture that he has made us all one in Christ through the cross. That's how God wants us to think of ourselves. Now, with these thoughts in mind then, let's go to James chapter 2. In this passage, James is dealing with a situation that involves partiality. Now, the specific example has to do with the rich and the poor. Of course, we're talking about two different groups of people, and we're talking about a conflict that can exist within us in regard to those two groups of people. And so I think that, I think that what James has to say here is, is applicable to the issue that we're talking about in regard to racism. Reading, first of all, verse 1, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, James could have said, show no partiality, and he would have been done with this verse, right? But he doesn't do that. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus See, as we hold the faith of our Lord Jesus, we're, we're saying something about ourselves. We are putting ourselves out to the world. And James doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Now, what's the purpose of that? I'm not sure, but here's what I think. What I think James is trying to get across is as we consider ourselves and whether we're going to be partial to people, we need to think about the impact that it's going to have on Christ. Because we represent Christ in the world. And when we show partiality toward anyone, then we are reflecting negatively upon Christ, the Lord of glory. Rather than bringing glory to his name by the things that we say and the things that we do, we are bringing shame upon him. So I think that might be the way that uh, James would have us to understand that. Verses 2 and 3. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, see, sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down here at my feet. Now we'll stop right there, even though the sentence doesn't stop. So again, the distinction that's being talked about specifically in regard to James' James's text here is between the rich and the poor. But what if that distinction had been made on, on race? It would, he'd basically be saying the same thing. These principles would still uh, apply. Now notice what James is saying in these, in these two verses. He says two things are wrong in regard to partiality. Uh, one, it's wrong to show prejudic- prejudicial uh, treatment against the people that we don't like or the people that are not like us. Okay, so that's, that's the, first pro- the first problem. But it's also wrong to show preferential treatment to the people that we do like. It, it's wrong going both ways. With both ways, it's partiality. And it's something that we need to understand within ourselves. Verse four Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Distinctions. That's the problem. Making distinctions where God has made no distinction. He says, have you not become judges with evil thoughts what's the connection between partiality and and judging and evil thoughts it's when we make a distinction that god has not made when we show preferential treatment or prejudicial treatment with either way toward those that where that god says should be the same so we need to be careful not to judge in a way that God is not judged. We need to make sure that we're not condemning a group of people that God has not condemned. That's evil. That's what, that's what James says here. Now, in verses five through seven, James goes on to make some points that are probably more relevant to making distinctions over rich and poor versus making racist type distinctions. But read it with me, verses five through seven. Listen, my beloved brothers, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But have you not dishonored the poor man? Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? So again, this this has kind of a specific application to rich versus poor, but, but I think the principle can still apply to the issue of racism. One is that God prefers the disadvantaged. God loves the little guy. He loves the humble of spirit. The guy that needs him is the one that he is going to help. And who is it that usually gets the preferential preferential treatment. The proud guy. The guy that can take care of himself. The guy that doesn't need God's help. And these are some of the same people that persecute us if we're not careful. Partiality is a violation of the royal law. Verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He calls it the royal law. A lot of different thoughts about what that might mean. Um, I like the idea that James is borrowing a concept from Roman law uh, where a royal law would be something that had been determined by the people, but sanctified by the emperor and was universally applicable in all settings. And whether that's what James had in mind or not, I think that's pretty applicable to, to what, uh, what James is referring to here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, found in the law of Moses, right? But then established by Jesus as one of the great commandments. How can we love our neighbor if we're making prejudicial distinctions between them? Again, verse 9, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The Scriptures don't get much plainer than this. Partiality in any form is a sin, and a Christian must repudiate it if, if he finds it within him. I, I think we all understand that there are certain sins that that hit us with a with a certain amount of disgust, right? We say to ourselves, "Oh, yeah, I would never do that." You know, I, I would, uh, I, I wouldn't be caught dead doing that. Um, is is partiality? among those sins? That's kind of the question that we need to have. Or is, this, or is this one of those sins that we're a little more comfortable with, that we're a little bit more comfortable being in the presence of? As we pursue completeness in Christ Jesus, we need to realize that partiality can have no part in us. I'm just not doing a very good job keeping up with my slides this morning. I do have a few final thoughts that I want to leave with you. First of all, equality is a concept that is tied to the belief that we are all created by God in His image. And you know what's interesting is that the majority of people in our society do not believe that we are created in God's image. If, if If a person accepts the idea of materialistic evolution as the understanding for how we got to where we are today. Baked into that philosophy is racism. Um, Back in the early 20th century, they actually had human zoos. And people were put in cages so that people like you and I could walk through and look at those people as object examples of the theory of evolution. But inside those cages were just people. They were just members of the human race, just like us. I think the Declaration of Independence has it exactly right. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among which are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do we believe that all men are created equal? A lot of people don't. The origin of the species, the rise of different races, only the fittest survive. Just, Just right there within the philosophical foundation of the Theory theory of evolution is a distinction between races. And yet so many segments of our society have bought into it. It is logically incoherent to hold a materialistic view uh, in terms of evolution and maintain that racism should not exist. On the other hand, the concept of equality among all human races is rooted in the truth that God created all of them in his image. Another important point, I think. Pursuing equality of outcome is another form of partiality. Also from the Declaration of Independence, you've got that reference to the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice the forefathers didn't say the right to to life, liberty, and happiness it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The right that we must uphold, and I think by doing it, we appropriately apply Christian principles, is that we uphold equality of opportunity, that every man should have an equal opportunity to pursue happiness. But the problem comes when people confuse op- equality of opportunity with equality of outcome. Because what equality of outcome means is that we've got to take away from some to give to another. That's just another form of expression of partiality. That's just, that's, that is exactly what we're talking about this morning. The principle of personal and individual liberty supports the concept of the equality of opportunity. But once you leave that and you start demanding equality of outcome, then we're right back to where we were before with the problem of partiality. Finally, the problem of partiality goes beyond the color of skin. And that's kind of where I've focused our attention this morning because, again, it speaks to our cultural moment. But it... It goes beyond the color of skin. There are all sorts of ways that, that, we, can, uh, that, that we can make distinctions between people. You know, it's, it's sort of like people from Michigan, they talk funny. Right, Jim? <laughs> we, can, we can make all sorts of distinctions. You know, we can say the Jews are inferior and they need to be exterminated. Or we might say all Muslims are terrorists and, and, and so we need to round them all up and put them in jail. Or, or we might say all cops are bad and we just need to do away with them, whatever it might be. But it's, uh, it, it, the problem of partiality goes beyond the color of skin. Now, I, we need to set a boundary around this though. Because, unfortunately, those who feel very strongly, many of those, I should say, not all, but many of those who feel very strongly about social justice, and there's a whole lot that's really important about social justice. But many are confusing who a person is with what a person does. And so, lumped under the umbrella of social justice are conduct and behaviors that, that are perversions of human nature, and they deface the one in whose image we have been created. I think Martin Luther King said it exactly right. He said that he looked forward to the day when a person would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I just want to add to it that the content of our character must be defined... By the one in whose image we are created. You see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have struggles. We all have strivings, but we can't give in to those and just live with them. Instead, Jesus has appeared, and He, not only that we might be forgiven of our sins, but also so that we might be changed. We, we have the opportunity in Christ to be recreated in God's image. We, we are buried with Christ. Our old man dies. And a new man is risen out of the watery grave of baptism walking in newness of life. And that's what the gospel is all about. And so... The problem of partiality is not going to be solved by the enactment of laws. But instead, it's going to be be solved through persuasion, the persuasion of God's Word. This only comes when a person is persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This only comes when a person is persuaded that they need to make a change in their life and they need to pattern their life after their master, become a disciple of Jesus and walk in the way that he walked and be recreated in the image of Christ who himself was in the image of God. And that being his disciples means that we are doing everything that we can to show mercy, to extend peace, to others, and to love all others without regard to whatever distinction that there might be within us. So we'll extend the Lord's invitation this morning. If you're here and have never entered obedience to the gospel of Christ, this is what it's all about. And I thought that it just it just transitioned perfectly into the invitation this morning because if you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, that's really what we're. It's just it's not just you know believing and and repenting and being baptized, but it's a change. It's the beginning of a change, the beginning of a sanctified life. And that's the invitation that's extended this morning. While together we stand and sing.